0: Help you discover your many layers. You peel your car, you wake up with fresh eyes. Question life, question humanity, question society, but most of all, question yourself. Is there even any part in Singapore that promotes this asking of difficult questions? It's kind of all across the board. That's just uh, the way that it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, um. It's hard, it's hard because there, y- y- there are so many ways that you could be penalized um, for for having conversations that even border you know um, problematic uh, quote unquote what uh, contentious you know so so even when it comes to the media uh, it's it's very it's a very scary place I, I would imagine you know you could you could end up getting sued. You could end up closed down. You could end up with your laptops, you know, um, confiscated and, and being investigated just because you know you're asking these difficult conversations. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough question. I think in the arts, uh, we don't we tend not to I think uh, shy away from it. It's just how much uh, you can, how much you you want it to happen, how much you want your your story to to go out there. Um, and how you make it happen, so if you don't for example, rely on government funding somehow, if you make it work you know uh through through some different business model then then great um, but I know that the there have been ways that people have gotten around to ask the difficult questions i mean. You have pioneering you have pioneering writers, right, who've paved the way for for political theatre, for example, such as Robert Yeo and Tantan Tan Hao. So so Tantan Tan Hao is a writer who has written very politically charged uh, plays and such as The Lady of Soul and Her Ultimate S Machine. He's also written this recent one, he wrote Press Gang, which was about uh, the media, journalism and censorship. So I think the way that he skirts around, you know, uh, and, and and gets away with, with having these very politically charged questions being raised in the theatre space is also to, to do it in a very allegorical, in a very creative, lyrical kind of way, um, where, you know, a lot of it is up to the interpretation um, of the viewer yeah um and and i think uh you know with companies such as wild rice they're not going to shy away from you know putting on shows which uh which ask these difficult conversations so for example they had uh commissioned a solo performance by this artist called sangita dorai rebecca sangita dorai in uh as part of the singapore theatre festival in wow what year was that 26 26- 2018 um, and this was a solo performance based on her own experience um, growing up as uh, you know, a, a, a female of Indian descent in Singapore society and in, in this education uh, system uh, and, and, and also her entering uh, the arts. Uh, you know, going into acting school and becoming an actor, her experience. So uh, one of the very interesting things that I saw um, when watching the show that I still remember was she had a moment where she stopped the show and asked uh, and, and was talking about um, how, as a person with darker colored skin, she tends to be when she 's on stage, she tends to not be as well lit so then she does this thing where she asks the person on the uh, you know control panel to to change the lighting and she, and, and the lightings change, and it becomes really nice um, there 's a nice glow around her and, and 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 she basically demonstrates how even in that small kind of way. You can easily be. You can easily make um, the work environment for an actor more welcoming, more inclusive, um, if you've just thought about how you know someone who has different colored skin uh, will be seen on stage using different kind of lights. So I thought that was very interesting and, and good. Uh, this was a show called Building a Character. Yeah, and and, and so for me that there was so much value in, in, in staging something like that, you know, commissioning for on the part of world, Rice, something that opened up that space, uh, you know, held people's attention for a moment, um, to think about these issues that someone like her would be going through uh, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah,
0: I actually did. Um, I had a lecture on lighting and colors back in uh, back in Central Saint Martins. I think that was like twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen when I had that lecture, and it was super interesting because it was talking about how lighting in film um, was mostly because of Hollywood traditions, um, basically crafted for white skin, and every other skin tone and shade just doesn't get portrayed in a nice light because it's just not the right lighting for it and people don't realize it until Mm. like kind of fairly recently in comparison to the grand history of uh, filmmaking or theater and it's like really these little subtle things that actually do matter and and how much we see a certain skin color or a certain physical appearance as the normal in society and how much more are we actively talking about it to counter that, to open up these spaces?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: There is this um, quote from um, D'Angelo in her her book on white fragility. So niceness will not get racism on the table and will not keep it on the table when everyone wants it off. Interrupting racism takes courage and intentionality. The interruption is by definition not passive or complacent. Which was like... (laughs) point. <laughs> and um, and then there's this. These are the quotes by Ijoma Olua. So you in her book. So you want to talk about race? Um, it is about race. If a person of color thinks it's about race, which I thought was like, it was really mm. important to know, and just to just to have someone remind you of that. So yeah. what what she writes is our lived experiences shape us how we interact with the world and how we live in the world and our experiences are valid because we do not experience the world with only part of ourselves we cannot leave our racial identity at the door and so if a person of color says that something is about race it is because regardless of the details regardless of whether or not you can connect the dots from the outside their racial identity is a part of them and it is interacting with the situation So if your lived experience and your interpretation of that lived experience are valid, why wouldn't the lived experience of people of color be just as valid? If I don't have the right to deem your life, what you see and hear and feel a lie, why do you have the right to do it to me? And why do you deserve to be believed and people of color don't? And if you're a person of color, know this. The world will try to tell you that what you're seeing, hearing, thinking and feeling is wrong. The world will tell you that you do not know how to interpret what is happening to you and to your community but you're not wrong. And you have just as much right to be heard and believed as anybody else. If you think it's about race, you are right. And I think so often in our conversations, we forget that, right? Like when I have conversations with my friends who are in certain contexts more privileged than me, when we talk about racial incidents and I and I feel hurt by a certain incident and, and we talk about it, a lot of my friends wouldn't be able to relate if they are not if they haven't had similar experiences as me and because they have they don't have my set of experiences because of my skin color and the way that society reacts with me they are not able to understand from their set of experiences because that doesn't exist and when i try to explain it's it almost seems like an impossible task because they would just be saying um oh you know Maybe that's not the person's intention. Maybe the person's just ignorant, or that um, maybe you were just being too sensitive, maybe that wasn't really that wasn't really what it was. And it makes it it makes it really difficult to try and explain your experience. And I think it's it's really about understanding that this this topic of race, it's not just about about just a singular experience it's your entire experience in your life and the way that people interact with you and the way that like you know even in a previous point of how someone would feel uncomfortable being with you in the same social setting or in the same sort of like um, communal uh, setting and maybe they don't even fully understand what that discomfort is and they don't understand why is it that they don't feel fully comfortable with you there are all these stereotypes prejudices that is in part of this society which makes it um, really difficult for for these issues to be I guess fairly seen.
1: Yeah I think uh, on that note interestingly I I just sort of recalled once uh, being told that in my group of friends if when we when we have conversations about race, I tend to get very, I tend to get very heated. I think uh, and and aggressive. I'm not sure if I'm quoting it right, <laughs> based on what I remember. Um, but but the idea was that I was I was very uh, you know into it, um, <laughs> very aggressive and heated in, in the conversation. And you should, and that I should um, learn to you know uh, tone it down um and i think uh you know hearing that um my instinct reaction was i oh i'm I'm sorry i didn't i didn't mean to be aggressive on hindsight what was the level of aggression that was not unacceptable firstly and secondly where does this come from uh that i shouldn't be you know, heated when talking about race, that I shouldn't be uh, passionate about something that, that affects me. I don't know. I just I got reminded of that incident once. Yeah.
0: I have uh, the perfect point for it. So, <laughs> by you <drew> <laughs> in the in the book, so you want to talk about race. She sure, about tone policing. So tone policing is an important term to understand if you want to have productive conversations about race. So what is tone policing? Tone policing is when someone, usually the privileged person, in a conversation or situation about oppression, shifts the focus of the conversation from the oppression being discussed to the way it is being discussed. tone policing prioritizes the comfort of the privileged person in the situation over the oppression of the disadvantaged person. No discussion about racism is just about one incident for people of color because we cannot divorce ourselves from the past pain of systemic racism or the future repercussions of current abuse. So when people of color talk about systemic racism, far more than feelings have been hurt and far more than feelings are at stake when people of color are talking about racism, no matter the immediate subject, they're always talking about lifelong abuse at the hands of society. So it's not about that singular incident, it's about the entire of your lived experience in your life. And if you've been privileged enough to not suffer from the cumulative effects of systemic racism and are therefore able to look at racially charged situations one at a time and then let it go, Please recognize that very few people of color are able to enter into discussions on racism with the same freedom. When people of color speak out about systemic racism, they're opening up all of that pain and fear and anger to you. They're not doing this because they enjoy it. It is an incredibly painful and vulnerable experience. We do this because we have to, because systemic racism is killing us. And yes, that pain and fear and anger will sometimes show in our words and our actions. But to see all that pain and how we fight still after entire lifetimes of struggle and then to tell us to be more polite is just plain cruel. To refuse to listen to someone's cries for justice and equality until this request comes in a language you feel comfortable with is a way of asserting your dominance over them in the situation. The oppressed person reaching out to you is already disadvantaged by the oppression they're trying to address. By tone policing, you're increasing that disadvantage. By insisting that you get to determine if their grievances are valid, and will only decide they are so if, on top of everything they are already enduring, they make the effort to prioritize your comfort, doesn't it feel relieving to hear something like this?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know. Ha- have you been on on the receiving end, you know, of, of tone policing? Because it doesn't feel nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't at all. Um, I was working in an organization. Um, so basically, it was supposedly in a setting where people people have traveled and they understand more than um, the the rest of the country, I guess, in terms of um, cultural awareness. And because I, when I was in France, I faced quite a lot of racism, especially on the streets and harassment. Um, mm. And it's like on so many different aspects because you are a young Chinese woman that that sort of like dynamics would just be that a lot of times in group conversations or discussions um, people don't hear you as much but then also on the streets there was just so much harassment that I, I was feeling I was really angry all the time at one point and then I was voicing it out in the organization that I was working in and I remember like most of the time it was just telling me that my experiences were not valid that you know people were just trying to be friendly when they say ni hao on the streets but you know when you hear like ni hao, on the streets 10 times when you walk down the same road in a way that is kind of aggressive and mocking that's not exactly friendly and because that's obviously not something that they would experience they they can't relate and in so many of these discussions because of the way the person that I am I I would open up these conversations right <laughs> and and, and then it's just like a, a sort of counterattack on like how my experiences might not be right. Maybe I interpreted it the wrong way or that, you know, I'm being too angry when I shouldn't be about it or that, you know, like, you know, all of these things that were invalidating how I felt and kind of reducing what I'm saying and my anger to something that is unwarranted.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: it's really hurtful actually in these situations especially when you are a minority and you don't yeah. have anyone else to back you up in those situations and you just feel like shit I'm I'm fighting all of that out there on the streets but even in my inner circle I can't feel safe enough to talk about it
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah So some like um, points from the book as well on takeaways that we can actually work on so For a person of privilege, be aware of the limits of your empathy, because your privilege will keep you from fully understanding the pain caused to people of colour by systemic racism. But just because you cannot understand it, that does not make it any less real. Don't distract or deflect. Um, The core issue in, in these discussions will always be racism and systemic oppression. Remember your goal. Drop the prerequisites. That goal should not have any Um, preconditions on it. You're fighting systemic racism because it is your moral obligation and that obligation is yours as long as systemic racism exists, pure and simple. Um, Walk away if you must, but don't give up. Build a tolerance for discomfort. You must get used to being uncomfortable and get used to this not being about your feelings if you plan to help and not hinder people of colour in their efforts for racial justice. You're not doing any favours, you're doing what is right. And then if you're a person of color who is being shamed or criticized by privileged people for your tone, please remember this. You have a right to your anger, sadness, and fear. These are natural reactions to the unnatural system of racial oppression. You were born deserving equality and justice. Nobody should be able to take that away from you. Your humanity does not have to be earned. You matter. You're no less important than those who try to put preconditions on your humanity. Nobody has authority over your fight for racial justice. Those who told police you are trying to manipulate you into thinking that their validation is required to legitimize your desire for racial justice. This is abusive behavior. You deserve to be able to speak your truth and you deserve to be heard.
1: I like that, yeah.
0: I mean, all of that conversation about how Black Lives Matter um, mattered in Singapore, how it was relevant. I mean, I'm reading these books and I'm like, I wish I knew about them earlier when I was going through what I was going through. Because they're so helpful, not just like from the point of view of being, I guess, in some ways, um, the receding end of uh, discrimination, but also like being in a place of privilege, understanding and checking on my privilege. It's like a, it's a constant work and it doesn't just end, it's it's not even just on race itself, you know, like reading these books, it helps in understanding so many other aspects that's beyond race, just in terms of privilege and un- understanding that you are not aware of everything and how to constantly act on it to to become more and more aware yeah basically how to be a better human being <laughs> right
1: yeah exactly it really is though like i think at the end of the day be a nice person <laughs> be a nice person if someone's hurting, you don't you don't tell them, you know, oh, you're just imagining it. Mm. You, you, don't, you don't tell them they're not. Uh, you, you, you extend a helping hand. You, you listen to someone, um, you know, tell about their horrible experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then there was this um, other quote by her as well so we want to protect our vision of a world that is fair and kind and predictable that reaction is normal but it doesn't make the harmful effects of unexamined privilege less real which i feel a lot of times when i talk to my i guess specifically in certain contexts, my white friends when i was in france um, i sense that when i when i tell my friends um about my experiences there is a denial I think not because not necessarily because they want to deny my feelings or experiences but because they they don't want to believe that the world can be bad. <laughs> mm. And yeah, it's just that's just the way that the world is. I mean, I I hate to say this too because I'm a very idealistic person, but the more that I'm living my years, the more I realize that there is a lot out there that is not exactly pleasant and there is a lot out there that needs to be worked on and unless we we get to a point where we acknowledge what is it that is unjust, then can we move from there to find out the points in which we can act and find out the ways in which we can make things better. So when yeah. Somebody asks you, so this is also another quote, when somebody asks you to check your privilege, they are asking you to pause and consider how the advantages you've had in life are contributing to your opinions and actions and how the lack of disadvantages in certain areas is keeping you from fully understanding the struggles others are facing and may in fact be contributing to those struggles. It is a big ask to check your privilege. It is hard and often painful, but it's not nearly as painful as living with the pain caused by the unexamined privilege of others.
1: yeah, I think in general, privilege can be quite a hard thing to to understand um, especially if you're if you're in a situation where someone's confronting you about your privilege, but you've never heard of this idea you know or or you have a very vague idea about what it is um. And, and that's ironically part of it, right? Like, you not having to worry about it, <laughs> not having to be conscious about you, about what you have that someone else doesn't, about what, you, uh, what access you have that someone else doesn't, what advantage you have that someone else is <laughs> contributing to your privilege.
0: And also, like, a privilege isn't always necessarily seen as a plus. It could also be like a negative of a negative. Like, say, for example, like me being born an ethnic Chinese in Singapore, maybe I don't see what I have in plus, but then I also don't experience the sort of discrimination that someone of a different skin color would maybe experience in Singapore. So it's also about understanding that there are things that because you don't experience and you are benefiting from a certain category to not have to experience it, that's also my privilege. Do you um, have any episodes of microaggressions?
1: Oh, um, I th- I, I'm sure there are. It's uh, very hard for me to, to recall specific incidents, you know. Um, and I think that's quite symptomatic of a <laughs> larger issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, I'm not consciously, you know, making notes of that in my head. Uh, but, you know, there have definitely been instances where I, I felt extremely uncomfortable. Uh, there was, for example, someone, um, so I was in university, and we were talking about life in the dormitories, uh, in the student dormitories um and one of our friends had just come down from her room to say that oh she has a new roommate and this roommate is uh is malay and muslim and she wears a headscarf and um she does her her prayers in the room and she was telling us that that story i don't know you know what she was getting at and uh i think they were talking about not not going to a she, the the new roommate not going to a party or something because um she doesn't drink alcohol and then another of my friend from hall um, had casually made a joke about how she should then go back to arabia and and I I, I think uh, I felt very unsafe um, after that happened because I myself identify as a Malay Muslim person staying in this very hall of residence, you know. Mm. Um, and these these were my peers who you know um, until that point I thought as you know students in the same school as as young adults um in in a university uh wouldn't be i guess um making such attacks uh making such um careless uh, you know uh, cracks and uh yeah so i felt that, uh, and 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 i i just felt unsafe and i felt um bothered i felt very bothered that this was the way that this particular friend of ours was you know viewing uh, a pers- a person of you know such a background um, so I removed myself from that situation as politely as I could um, and and I didn't uh, you know kick up a fuss I didn't say anything in response to that um, I think also because i I wasn't very close to this particular friend. Um, and you know, secondly, Arabia. What, where is that? Uh, so, so yeah. I think uh, that experience was quite uh, traumatic. Um, you know, and then having having, uh, having this conversation on hindsight with uh, other friends uh, who didn't stay on that uh, dormitory, but other friends from my faculty um, in university um and and talking about how actually there there is room <laughs> there is the danger for a lot of um uh you know unfair um treatment and discrimination uh, there's a lot of room for microaggressions uh based on ethnic lines um in a student dormitory situation in, especially in that school that I went to um for many reasons for a combination of many reasons and but but you know uh, being met with oh but our whole isn't isn't that bad already you know so adding to the trauma of actually uh, like witnessing it happen and then being being gaslighted right really like being gaslighted into thinking oh it's it's not that bad you you shouldn't feel so uh bad uh, <laughs> um I continued to stay on that dorm uh until I graduated just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> uh, um so that happened. Um I really I was quite paralyzed. I didn't I didn't I had no um I didn't have the courage to speak up. And also I didn't feel like there were any allies uh, you know uh in my immediate uh, conversation to to rely on, um, to look to or anything. Uh, so yeah, that was something. How,
0: how safe do you feel in Singapore?
1: Um, you really, uh, you really can't tell. How safe do I feel in Singapore? Um, I mean, I think I think I uh, I have my own set of privileges as well. well you know i i have uh, there are many advantages uh, <laughs> there are many negative negatives that i that i have that come with my where i am in in my life right now how safe i i, I think it's uh, it really catches me off guard you know so for example that situation uh, <laughs> where I had good faith in, for example, uh, a university education, but alas, um, <laughs> I was proven otherwise. Um, I it really catches you off guard in 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 different places at different times, you know, and it can be something that might sound positive as well. For example, oh, you look like a very smart person and and this was me amongst um a few other malay friends of mine you know Mm. (laughs) but being singled out um so yeah and 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 it's also in the way that you watch from a distance how other people around you how your friends uh Your family are reacting to different things um, how they are handling encounters um, uh, you know so so me watching people comment about um the big national issues, for example, you know um, of of how Uh, There was this actor who went for an audition for uh, an Our Boys to Men movie uh, who, who, uh, you know, came out of the audition and shared a Facebook post about his experience being told to act more Indian. Um, And then being met with, you know, criticisms from, uh, from fellow actors, from fellow industry people, Saying this is normal. You should just do what the director wants you to do. You should Mm -hmm. just do what the thing, whatever needs from you. It's normal, and it's just part of creating, you know, good film. Uh, um, Me watching from a distance, people I knew, people I was in connect uh, in, I was connected with on Facebook, for example. Um, Yeah, basically taking the side of. Whoever was doing the casting, uh, and 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 shutting down, you know, uh, this actor um, uh, as someone who was just being sensitive, as someone who was uh, not, who was not being, who was not playing his role, basically as the young actor going for an audition who wasn't doing his job, so that. Can be quite surprising as well. Um, then, do you feel safe? Uh, then later on, when you have uh, interactions with um, these friends who you know hold these, uh, you know, sentiments in in their heart of hearts, mm. uh, you, you know. So, so yeah, it really catches. Do I feel safe in Singapore? Um, for the most part, I, I would. And, and I think it's also very tiring. It's also very emotionally exhausting uh, to be, you know, to, 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 to guard yourself constantly from, from being uh, subject to microaggressions, from being subject to uh, whatever like, slurs or whatever. Um, so, so you tend to go about your day you know, you tend to go about your day. For me, going back to the point of uh, not being consciously, you know, aware of all the different microaggressions that I've encountered, but you you kind of just move on with it. And and even if that, even if you encounter microaggression, you just move on. You just move on with it. You know, um, only if it really affects you in in some way, then that you kind of stop and 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 really think about it or, uh, or confront the person um, about it. But yeah, I think <laughs> you kind of do just build and, and maybe you can uh, relate uh, you know, your own experience um, as a, a minority in certain situations in your life where you know that someone's done something or said something that was aggressive, microaggression. But you let it slide, you know. Or you 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 just move on because you think, yeah. Well, let's let's not make a big fuss about this. Let's not uh, create a conflict out of uh, this thing that has just hurt me in some way, you know.
0: But also, like it's actually really tiring to have to talk about it all the time. And exactly. I've also felt instances when, when in France, especially on the streets, if I wanna speak up against certain harassment I would risk myself being actually physically injured so Mm. it's also like all these things that we have to Mm. consider but I'm going to share something super useful on microaggressions by Oluo so microaggressions are small daily insults and indignities perpetrated against marginalized or oppressed people because of their affiliation with that marginalized or oppressed group and here we are going to talk about racial microaggressions insults and indignities perpetrated against people of color. But microaggressions are more than just annoyances. The cumulative effect of these constant reminders that you are less than does real psychological damage. Regular exposure to microaggressions causes a person of color to feel isolated and invalidated. The inability to predict where and when a microaggression may occur leads to hypervigilance, which can then lead to anxiety disorders and depression. And... Microaggressions are small, hence the micro and can be easily explained away. It is very easy to dismiss a small offence as a misunderstanding or a simple mistake. Microaggressions are cumulative, so on their own it doesn't seem like a big deal but just like one random bee sting might not be a big deal. A few random bee stings every day of your life will have a definite impact on the quality of your life and your overall relationship with bees. Microaggressions are perpetrated by many different people because each microaggression is one sting perpetuated by a different person, it is hard to address with each individual person without one becoming very exhausted and two being written off as hypersensitive, what we talked about. And then many people do not consciously know that they are perpetuating a microaggression against someone. So much of our oppres- oppressive actions are done in complete ignorance of their effect or subconsciously, where we aren't fully aware of why we're acting aggressively towards someone. This is often the case with microaggressions. Rarely does somebody perpetrating one say to themselves, I'm going to find a small way to hurt this person. So, having established that microaggressions are hard to see, um, there are different ways in which they can show up in everyday conversations for people of color. So, wow, you speak English really well. You're unlike other black people. I thought Asian people eat a lot of rice. Um, is that your real hair? And microaggressions. Um, So like this, these are some methods in which you can address microaggressions, these are some strategies. So number one, state what actually happened. Some things just need to be called what they are and microaggressions are definitely among those things. You just assume that I don't speak English, say it directly. What is happening to you is real and you have every right to name it. Ask some uncomfortable questions. Because a lot of microaggressions are perpetrated with subconscious motivation. Questioning the action can force someone to really examine their motives. Two of my favorites are, why did you say that? And I don't get it. Please clarify. And three, ask some more uncomfortable questions. If the person you're talking to becomes flustered or insists they mean, they meant nothing by it, ask, is this something you would have said to a white person? Or how exactly was I supposed to take what what you just said? And then reinforce that good intentions are not the point. You may not have meant to offend me, but you did. And this happens to people of color all the time. If you do not mean to offend, you will stop doing this. Remember, you are not crazy and you have every right to bring this up. I can see this is making you uncomfortable, but this is a real problem that needs to be addressed. So if you witness racial microaggressions against someone else, you should strongly consider speaking out as well, especially if you're a person of privilege. And these strategies above also will will also work when confronting microaggressions against other people, with a few minor tweaks to ensure that you aren't making this about well you. Yep. Yeah. isn't it helpful?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> that's really helpful. So one thing what? that solves to me was, especially if you're a person with privilege, oh. you, you should be picking up. <laughs> yeah, and I I I think you know um, oh. one might have the the privilege then. It's it's not something that's on their mind to, to, to constantly think about, to reflect on, which is the, uh, the the irony of it.
0: And then some other tips on the other side for person of colour. It's a horrible feeling to speak out against microaggressions in a room full of um, white people. So I guess in our context, people of privilege and be met with nothing but hostility or silence. It's actually really hurtful. Um, as a person of colour, you don't have to call out every microaggression against you, but you have the right to call out each and every one that you choose to. Do not let people convince you that you're being oversensitive, that you're being disruptive or divisive. What is harmful and divisive are these acts of aggression that, against people of colour that are allowed to happen constantly without consequence. What is harmful and divisive is the expectation that people of color would just accept abuse. Often the person you are talking with will refuse to see what you're saying and will become defensive. And that's okay. Even that is progress because these harmful actions should not be comfortable. And if you get caught out enough times, you'll stop. If only to be able to go about your day without argument. And eventually for many people, it does sink in. Maybe not the first time or the fifth time, but eventually... It is not your job as a person of color to educate people on their racist actions. Please remember that. But it is always your right to stand up for yourself when you choose to. So a couple other strategies. Pause. It is very easy to be overwhelmed with emotions when you're called out. Before you respond at all, pause and catch your breath. And remember that your goal is to understand and have a better relationship with the person you're talking to. Ask yourself, do I really know why I said or did that? Think for a moment. Why did you choose to make that comment? Why did you clutch at your purse? If you can't think of a good reason, this is a good sign that you should examine this more in yourself. And then ask yourself, would I have said this to somebody of my race? Is it something I say to people of my race? If it's a comment that is specific to that race, say, assuming that a Chinese American doesn't like American food, ask yourself if you think of and voice similar stereotypes in your everyday interactions with other white people. And when a white person orders Chinese, do you say, but I thought you only ate hot dogs? Ask yourself if you were feeling threatened or uncomfortable in the situation and then ask yourself why. Often microaggressions are a defense mechanism when people are feeling racial tension. You're hanging out with your buddies and then a black friend comes and joins a previously all-white table. That discomfort might cause you to act inappropriately, acknowledging that the mood has been changed because someone different who doesn't quite belong has joined. But instead of investigating your own biases and prejudice that make you uncomfortable, you take it out on the person who joined by making the difference their problem with a racially insensitive joke or reference. And don't force people to acknowledge your good intentions. What matters is that somebody was hurt. That should be the primary focus. The fact that you hurt someone doesn't mean that you're a horrible person, but the fact that you meant well doesn't absolve you of guilt. Do not make this about your ego. If you truly meant well, then you will continue to mean well and make understanding what just happened your priority. Remember, it's not just this one incident. This incident is the continuation of a long history of microaggressions for people of colour. Racial trauma is cumulative and you cannot expect a person of colour to react to each situation the way that you would have encountered it for the first time. It may not seem fair that you would take some of the blame for what has happened in the past, but what is truly unfair is the fact that people of colour have to endure this every day. The privilege you enjoy in not having to constantly suffer these indignities require that you at least take responsibility for how your actions may be adding to them and the pain that causes. Research further on your own time. Take whatever knowledge the person confronting you is willing to give gratefully, but do not then demand that they give you a free 101 lesson on microaggressions. Trust me, whatever it is you've done, it's been done before, and a quick Google search will help you understand further. Apologize. You've done something that hurt another human being. If you don't fully understand why or how, you should apologize. It is the decent thing to do when you respect people. You don't have to totally get it to know that you don't want to continue doing something that hurts people. When it comes to racial oppression, it really is the little things that count. Isn't it great?
1: Yeah. Like all these it.
0: resources out there. If only everyone just read these <laughs> Yeah. So what's next on the list? It's um, our. Ten actions list. What people? What can people do to further this conversation?
1: Yeah. So. So this is this this was the list that we came up with the other day.
0: Yeah. Right. So number one, it's uh, start by listening, breaking down what someone has said that might be surprising and shocking to you, trying to see where they're coming from. Empathy beyond just reading an angry tweet, what are people writing in their articles and what are their experiences that led them to that tweet in support and contrast and then having that conversation with people you trust? What do you think of this issue? Be willing to listen. Which I guess really is like the, back to the first um, context of Raisa Khan's tweet, it's beyond that, that Facebook post, sorry, not tweet, Facebook post, beyond the words that she typed out was a lot of stuff underneath contextually that hasn't Mm. had the right place to be addressed or to be talked about or to be vocalized and it's so easy to misunderstand from just that one post and not to think about all of the, the different consequences or the different complexities in that issue exactly and number two it's being open not entering to win an argument entering conversation to learn three with withhold judgment, put yourself in another person's shoes to understand their experiences and why they're saying what they're saying. Four, take responsibility for your own learning. Do your homework. Not relying on someone from a minority group to explain something to you. There is the power disparity if they can't find the words for you. That pressure to represent the entire racial group is on them. Number five, be an ally. Speak up. Create safe spaces. Offer a listening ear number 6 understanding that privilege is not just a plus but also a negative of negative when you don't experience negative experience that someone else would number 7 acting responsibly when being called out how to act take a moment of silence reflection and then asking for elaboration on talking or talking about the issue responsibility is also on person who called out to create a safe and conducive space to continue the conversation practice non judgment number 8 give time and attention Individual social responsibility as engaged citizens of the world. Number nine, unpack your prejudices, check on your, yourself. Checking on self-entitlement. And the last one, be kind, be nice. And having these experiences are not ideal, but it makes you stronger, more aware, conscious, sensitive, and kinder, and gives you the ability to empathize. Another quote from the book to end this off. Get used to that uncomfortable feeling that arises when you discover that perhaps your privilege is hindering your ability to truly understand or address an issue. Get used to that peg of guilt that comes with realizing yet another area of life where you've benefited at the expense of others. It will not kill you. You can withstand it. You want to be more comfortable with this so that when you are confronted with your privilege in a stressful situation, like a Facebook argument that suddenly takes a turn for the worse, you will be able to limit your defensiveness enough to listen and learn. If someone confronts you with your privilege from a place of anger or even hatred, if someone does not want to take the time or does not have the emotional energy to further explain to you where your privilege lies, know that it is still a kindness. Try to remember that the alternative to not being made aware of your privilege, no matter how it may sting, is your continued participation in the oppression of others. Someone is giving you an opportunity to do better, no matter how unpleasant the delivery. Thank them. Couple more strategies. Listen. Set your intentions aside. Try to hear the impact of what you have done. Remember that you do not have all of the pieces. So how each person interprets based on their life experience will be really different from what was um, intended to, to be conveyed. Do not discount someone. Nobody owes you a debate. It is very hard on people of colour to call out racism. Sometimes that is the most they can do. And while you may really want to get it all sorted out right then and there, understand that when you ask to talk it out, you're asking for more emotional labour from somebody who is already hurt. It is nice if you get it and you should be grateful, but it's not owed to you. You can still give this serious thought. You can still look deep inside yourself. You can still Google for more insight. Remember, it's highly unlikely that anything you've done has not been done before, even if the person who brought this to to your attention does not want to engage further. If you can see where you have been racist or if you can see where your actions have caused harm, apologize and mean it. If you cannot see where you have been racist, take some more time to seriously consider the issue some more before declaring your actions not racist. If, after a lot of careful thought, you still do not see your actions as racist and feel strongly that this is simply a misunderstanding, do not then invalidate that person's hurt. A true misunderstanding isn't so just because your intentions were not racist. A true misunderstanding is when your actions do not actually have a racist impact, even though somebody thinks they might. If I hit you but do not intend to hit you, that... That is not a misunderstanding about whether or not I hit you. The situation you are in may be a misunderstanding. It does happen, even if hap- it happens less often than you think. But even if it is, the pain of the person confronting you is real. Do not deny that. Do not call it silly. Explain your viewpoint if you feel it's necessary and hope that explanations shed light. I would highly recommend everyone to read these two books, White Fragility and So You Want to Talk About Race. Mm-hmm. It's available in the library too. (laughs) Ebook.
1: National Library.
0: Yeah. Just get it online. There's an ebook that you can download through through the app. It's really easy. And I really wish that we can have more open conversations about these. Yeah. I mean, I guess opening up these conversations is not just about opening up these conversations in Singapore. It's challenging a certain norm, challenging a certain way of doing things. But I also feel like I also feel like with the younger generation, there is a change. There is a shift, and people do want to talk about these I hope <laughs> and it's just yeah. about opening things up so that we can organically be able to progress collectively
1: yeah i I do agree uh I think um as time goes by, I think the younger people will be more open to have these kind of you know um conversations. I think that's quite uh promising um uh, yeah, how much it's going to change, uh, you know, systemically. <laughs> That's a big question mark for me, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think in terms of moving the needle, it's going to be a step-by-step, you know, kind of thing where you do what you can in your, you know, in your own means, in your own circles.
0: Is there anything that you would like changed or... um? If there, there is someone that you can um suggest something that they can do to create change in this in this respect, what would it be?
1: Oh <laughs> I think um it's very important for you know our the the country's leaders um to to set the tone uh that welcomes uh, conversations uh, that welcomes the conversations as opposed to to shutting them down and as opposed to um, making minorities feel like their experiences are untrue or invalid. I think that's that's a very big one um, that unfortunately the situation is not great, you know, and that shows in in the way uh, nationally speaking we've handled um, all the high profile cases. But also, you know, I would um I would like to encourage every one of us, everyone who's listening, everyone, every single person to 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 read up, to listen, you know, be an ally, to check on our own privileges and just do better, I think. Uh you know, every every single little thing adjustments that we make um in the way we carry ourselves as human beings, you know, it's gonna make a difference to someone. It's gonna make a difference. Uh and you know, if we if our mindsets um are aligned in that way in in, in the hopes for the same kind of you know outcome then then we will see then we will see changes uh happening I think.
0: Mm. And I think like a lot of times it's so easy to think that things have to be top-down, that only the governmental authorities have the power. But actually, change can happen bottom-up. As long as we have a larger awareness of issues, and collectively as a society, we can change the, the shift in narratives and to open up conversations. But we need to first care as individuals in society towards um, other people in the same society that we live in.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. yeah i I think for for myself, you know i'm I'm hopeful that even with the pushbacks, even with the uh censorship that that I face, um, I'm hopeful that if I can keep you know um, pushing that line, uh, pushing that boundary and and telling, keep telling stories. Um, that highlight, you know, people of various kinds of um, minority backgrounds. Then, then, you know, people who who are consuming the stories, who are listening to the stories, would be uh, would be able to take away something, even if it's like a little thing, even if it's just the idea of listening. You know, um, yeah, that's great for me, but I've got my work cut out for me then. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: thank you for doing this like i mean not just the podcast but also for your work in theater, because it's it's really difficult (laughs) these things this these themes in terms of social justice um, and equality we can only progress if we actually talk about it as much as you know besides just talking about it we also need to have actions but Chicken and egg again. Like you, you have to talk about it first, so that there will be action and more action.
1: So,
0: yeah. So, yeah, hang in there.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me on this conversation. Uh,
0: Probably.
1: I think it's it's a very important conversation, uh, and 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 yeah, I mean, this was a good space for us to to have that conversation as well.
0: Thank you for doing it because uh, who knows, right? There might be repercussions. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, I'm um, also including um, a number of links on things that people can read up on specific to Singapore context. So uh, any of the listeners here who are interested, feel free to click on them. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. Special thanks to Andrea for the music. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Catch you next episode.